Well, hey everyone, thanks for checking out this message from Journey Church. These resources are so awesome to have when you're out in nature like we are and you gotta go be outside on these nice days. However, we want you to know that there is nothing better than true fellowship with believers and live worship with your fellow Christians. So be sure to use this message only in conjunction with getting fed in a community of believers. Hey, we also want you to get connected with us, so be sure to text the word CONNECT to 307-271-9160 so that you can stay in the loop with everything happening at Journey Church and get notifications about upcoming events. Hey, we pray that this message encourages you and inspires you as you continue this life on your walk with Jesus. Well, for those of you who don't know, that was my daughter in the video announcements. And uh, parents, kids are watching what you're doing. Uh, Brittany was recording those video announcements. And then Quinn said, hey, I want to give that a shot. So she just hit record and walked away. And Quinn, away she went. And of course, the first words out of her mouth were, hey, dudes. And so <laughs> kids are listening to how I talk and how you talk. So hopefully it's not worse than that. So you're, you're okay if that's, if that's where you're going. But um, today, as you can see, our message is going to be called The Heavens Declare, and it's going to be coming right out of Psalm 19. So if you got your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and open up to Psalm chapter 19, and we're going to work our way through that Psalm uh, just verse by verse this morning. Look at what God's Word says uh, in, in there. Uh, before we get there, though, um, I just want to give a shout out to Kim and Syl. Doesn't the stage look great? Yeah. I mean, uh, Brittany's office looks like Willy Wonka's factory exploded, but I think fall and pumpkin spice lattes exploded up here. So it, it looks great. Um, I, I do love these colors, though. Like when I, when I look at the leaves changing, it, it reminds me, my wife and I used to go and, and uh, we'd take the Harley and we'd drive through Spearfish Canyon. Have you ever done that? You're looking at the changing of the leaves and the different colors that are coming around. It's, it's so beautiful. And I love how those colors colors change and just everything that comes with that. Uh, but back in April, we actually got to see a, a different kind of beauty. We went to Myrtle Beach for a little early anniversary getaway, and we're not used to seeing the waves and the sand and, and the sunset going over the water, and that was a different kind of beautiful that, that we hadn't seen before, really witnessed before. But there was something that was so distracting when we were down there from, that was taking it away from like I said, the heavens declaring the glory of God. And it was pasty dudes with metal detectors were taking away the beauty of the sand and the water and the sky because they had Crocs with socks and the socks were all the way up to their knees and they had just this big old plummet of, of sunscreen right on their nose. And, and man, I think, man, this, this is a beautiful sunset. But these pasty dudes, not so beautiful. Sorry, guys, that's not so good. It was, it just, it shot me as nerdy is what it was. I was like, this is one of the nerdiest things I think I've ever seen. But then as my brain started ticking and started going along, it's like, well, maybe there's more to this metal detecting than I actually know. So naturally, what do we do? We go to Google. We start looking these things up. And um, I found out that a lot of people who do this metal detecting, they find some buried treasure. 
Like they're actually out there treasure hunting. There was one guy, or there were two guys, excuse me, who recently found two Spanish coins. And these coins were nearly 300 years old and they sold them for thousands of dollars. There was another guy by the name of William Bartlett who found 350 coins from a shipwreck. Excuse me, a shipwreck incident. And then he sold these 350 coins for $4.5 million. It's not so nerdy anymore, is it? All they had to do was take their metal detectors, find where it was beeping, and then with a little effort of digging and a little work, they found buried treasure. I say all this to say this here. Psalm 19 is saying the same thing. That with a little bit of work and a little bit of effort, that there is buried treasure right beneath the surface, right in front of our faces. Psalm 19.10 even says that the word of God is even more precious and more pure than gold. And that is what we are going to look at in today's sermon. In this psalm, what God's going to do is he's going to reveal his nature. We're going to see how the heavens declare the glory of God. But then we're going to see how the word also declares the glory of God. We're going to see a few of these gold nuggets in this sermon today that we'll be able to take away with us. And the first will be this, that God is revealed in the world, all right? So if you're a note taker, if you're taking notes today, write that down, God revealed in the world. And we're gonna see that in uh, Psalm chapter 19 right at the top this morning. It says these words, the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech, and night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. But get this their message has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world. And so uh, King David wrote this psalm and, and I just think about man before he was king, he was a shepherd boy. And what was he doing, right? He was sitting with his sheep in the fields. He's seeing the heavens, not the spiritual heaven where God himself is enthroned, but the heavens of the blue sky and the heavens of the night sky. And he clearly sees the glory of God being declared here. And today we see the glory of God being declared just like he did day in and day out. It can be seen in the beauty of the sun, the clouds, the sun rising and the, and the sun setting, the, the leaves changing color, the waves coming in and out on the beaches. We see it at night, uh, really, how it is apparent through the brightness of the moon and the starry skies, the distant galaxies that are out there. It's just magnificent. It is a magnificent display of God's glory in various different aspects. One of the things that shows us is God's size, right? We see, man, as the creator of the universe, God must be massive. He must be extremely huge, We also see his engineering skills, having created something that works together so well. We see God's artistry, having painted the skies and painting everything that he has done so beautifully. But we also see his goodness and his kindness, 
having created something for all humanity, for all of us to enjoy and for all of us to see. You know, David describes how the sky proclaims the glory of God. And it is as if that the day and the night and all creation is speaking to everybody about God. That's what he's saying here. You know, I think when Paul wrote the book of Romans in Romans chapter 1 verse 20, I think he had this psalm on his heart because he's talking about God's invisible attributes that can clearly be seen in creation. It says this, for his, that's God, for his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. This is a fact as old as time itself. Creation all around us, the, the heavens and the earth, they all bear witness to the existence of God. And this truth has resonated across languages and cultures and societies all throughout human history. You know, there's a respected astrophysicist by the name of Robert Jastrow. He was the director of NASA's Goodard Institute for Space Studies. And he shared some really interesting perspectives about the universe when he wrote these words. He said this, Now we see how the astronomical evidence supports the biblical view of the origin of the world. The essential elements in the astronomical and biblical accounts of Genesis are now the same. Consider the enormity of the problem. Science has proved that the universe exploded into being at a certain given moment. It asks... What cause produced this effect? Who or what put the matter and energy into the universe? And science cannot answer this question. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of his own reason, the story now ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance And he is about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over that final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been there for centuries. You know, one night walking with a group of admirals who were discussing whether or not God existed, Napoleon himself is said to have pointed to the heavens and said, Sirs, if you're going to get rid of God, then you got to get rid of those. Napoleon was right, because the heavens declare the glory, the reality, the substance, and the weight of God. Even the brilliant Stephen Hawking, who was a profound atheist, said this about the fine-tuning of the universe. He said, our universe and its laws appear to have a design that is both tailor-made to support us and, if we are to exist leaves little room for alteration. How little room for alteration, you ask? I'm so glad you guys asked. Check this out. 
There are these things called anthropic constants. And these anthropic constants are like specific settings in the universe that make it so we can exist. And there are hundreds of these anthropic constants. But since Aaron told me I couldn't have a three-hour sermon, I figured I'd only pick five this morning that we can walk through those. But the whole point is that if any one of these, even these five or these hundreds, if any one of them were not precisely, finely tuned just the way they are, we would not be in existence here today. The first one is the oxygen level. Oxygen comprises 21% of the atmosphere. However, if it was leveled up just 4% more to 25%, fires would erupt spontaneously. If it were 15%, just 6% less, human beings would suffocate. You guys, there's not a lot of room for margin or error inside of there. How about the atmospheric transparency? If the atmosphere were less transparent, then not enough solar radiation would reach the Earth's surface. If it were more transparent, we would be bombarded with far too much solar radiation. But even in just that, in, in addition to these atmospheric transparencies, the exact amounts of nitrogen, oxygen, carbon dioxide, and ozone in the air are also crucial for existence to Earth, and those would be tampered with as well. How about this, the moon and Earth gravitational interaction? If the interaction were greater than it currently is, tidal effects on the oceans and the atmosphere and the rotation period of the earth would be far too severe. But if it were less, orbital changes would cause clim climactic instabilities. In either event, life on earth would be impossible. How about the CO2 levels? If the CO2 level were higher than it currently is now, a runaway greenhouse effect would develop, also known as we would just all burn up. If the level were lower than it is now, plants would not be able to maintain efficient photosynthesis, meaning that we would all suffocate. This is one of my favorites. If the gravitational force were altered by 0. That's 37 zeros right there, by the way. 37 zeros and 1%. Our sun would not exist, and therefore neither would we. All of these atmospheric constants caused astronomer Fred Hoyle to have his atheism shaken because of the complexity that he saw in life. He said this, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as chemistry and biology and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. You know, he was pretty vague on about who this uh, super intellect is, but what he did was he recognized that the fine tuning of the universe required intelligence. He noticed that a grand design requires a grand designer and that it just doesn't happen by accident. Y'all, we see amazing signs of God's skill and his handiwork all around us. We look at the sky, we can see the proof in his existence, in his love, in his power, and his care for humanity. 
It doesn't make sense to say that the universe just happened by chance and it was just a cosmic oops. That doesn't work here. It's hard to believe that such incredible beauty and complexity can come from nothing or from nobody. Honestly, it takes a lot more faith to say that nothing created something. The way that our world is designed with all of its order, with all of its life, it shows us that there must be a creator who is actively involved. So today, when you admire the beauty of nature in the sky, remember just to thank God for creating it and for showing us the truth about who he is. So Psalm 19 shows us how God is revealed in the world, but it also is now going to go on to show us how God is revealed in the word. And it's interesting because David suddenly is, is talking about how God shows himself in the world, but now he's going to talk about how God shows himself in the word, in the Bible. It's almost like saying, hey, you know what? Creation tells us a lot about who God is, but his word is going to tell us a lot more and it's going to unpack who he is for us. And then starting in verse 7, David is going to start writing down six things about God's word. And he uses some different titles for the word of God here. Let's, let's take a look at these. The first one is this. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The instruction of the Lord is perfect. Okay, so God's instructions are perfect. Spoiler alert, I'm not. I know you didn't think that, but, but spoiler alert, I am not perfect. I am a sinner who needs to be saved by grace. You know, Paul talks to us in, in the book of Galatians, and he says, you know, the law here, it's like a schoolmaster. It's, it's a teacher. It's here to show us our sinful conditions and then show us that we need a savior to take these sins away from us. And then once I am saved... What does it say here? It renews one's life. When you are saved by the grace of God, it will renew your life. It will renew your soul even. You know, you can go to the doctor for the needs of your body. You can go to college or to a university for the needs of your mind. But you can only go to the scriptures for the needs of your soul. And number two, David goes on to say that the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. David says here that what God tells us about himself in his testimony, it's always trustworthy. It's true. It'll never let us down. It's like a strong support or a firm foundation that we can rely on throughout our entire lives. Inexperienced here, that word, it's a Hebrew word that means people who are actually open to learning and who are open to instructions, people who are teachable and they don't think that they have it all figured out on their own. It's like children learning from wise parents. God wants to teach his kids, he wants to teach us about who he is and about how amazing he truly is. Number three, the precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. Now, word precept there, it's, it's another word for guidelines or rules, right? They are fair and right. So when we follow them, our hearts is what it says there. But the Hebrew word can also mean mind, our hearts and our minds. 
will also feel happy. They help us understand what to do. And when we do that, when we understand what's going on, that in turn makes God happy as well. You know, in the Bible, knowing about God is actually helps us to worship God. When we know who he is, when we sing songs like he is worthy of it all, when we sing songs like that, we see that, wow, you are worthy of our worship to you. Is anyone else in here guilty of yelling at the ref through the TV like they can hear you sometimes? Yeah, okay. All right, good. I'm, I'm in good company then. They miss calls sometimes, right? Like there's a pass interference that we clearly see, or, or I'm also a hockey fan, so when somebody gets high-sticked and they don't get called for it, yeah, it's kind of like that. That's the closest analogy in my brain that I could come up with. But when the rules weren't followed, it gets upsetting. When you follow the rules correctly, though, it's actually enjoyable to play the game. It's similar to that because when we follow God's rules and his precepts and his guidelines for our lives, it makes us happy and it helps us to honor God as well. Number four, the command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. I really like how the, living, the New Living Translation put it. It said the command of the Lord is radiant, giving insight for living. I like that. When we follow the instructions, it's like we have a new insight and a new grasp on how God wants us to live our lives. It's like our eyes can see the light of God and the brightness flows out of our souls now. When we follow God's instructions, it's like you go into a dark room and you can't see anything. You're kind of feeling around for it. Then all of a sudden you turn the light on. And you're like, oh, there it is. There is everything I was looking for. The, this light guides us and helps us make good and godly choices in our lives. Uh, for those of you who have been here, we just wrapped up a sermon series on the book of Ephesians that was called Sit stand and walk, or walk and stand. I always get those mixed up. Uh, don't tell Aaron I got those mixed up. I promise I listened to the sermon, okay? But it was, you would sit, you would stand, or you would walk, and then you would stand, because you're standing firm for what you believe in. But the walking part really sticks out for this as well. Ephesians 5, 8 says, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We have light that we can walk in church, and that is the light of Jesus Christ. Number five, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Now, we're looking at something a bit unique now, aren't we? Because notice that phrase, the, the fear of the Lord. We usually don't hear it when it's talking about the Bible or talking about the scriptures. But here, the context tells us that, yeah, it is indeed talking about the written word of God. It's interesting because you don't find this phrase used anywhere else like it is here. And I believe that it's used here to describe the massive amounts of impact that it can have on our lives today. Because when you're exposed to God's truth, it should create a deep respect and a sense of awe for God. This deep respect is what is meant by the fear of the Lord. And since God's truth is pure and it's without mistakes, it is perfect, it will last forever. Or like it says here, it will endure forever. God is saying here that the truth that helped you in the past 
is the same truth that will help you in the future because it endures forever. It has worked before. It's working now. And it will continue to work in the future as you trust in him and you follow his laws and precepts. It will benefit your entire life and it will endure forever. And then lastly, number six, it says the ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. Another word for uh, ordinances would be judgments because God is the perfect judge. I know we've all screwed up judgments in our lives, but God never screws up a judgment. We all desire justice for the wrongs that happen in life. We all want to see justice had. But here we can trust that God will issue a fair and a perfect judgment for everyone. And here's the kicker. If you follow Jesus Christ and you trust in his finished work on the cross, and you believe that he conquered death and that he rose again on the third day, then you can be on the side of righteousness with him. Jesus is that bridge between us and God's righteousness. And when we turn to him and we leave behind our sin and our old ways of life, then Jesus goes to bat for us and he shares in that truth and in that amazing grace with us. And what I love here is that David takes everything that he just said and he summarizes it with a little cherry on top. And he says, they, talking about the instruction, the law, the precepts, they are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. What he's saying here is that the law is actually our most valuable possession. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus warns us to not focus on collecting riches on earth, but to focus on collecting spiritual riches in heaven. To listen to his teachings and then to follow them is like building a strong foundation for our lives. To seek and to learn and to obey God's teachings is like working on something that's going to last forever. It's more valuable than any precious metal, any precious coins that you'll find on the beach with your metal detector. It is better than all of that. But what I love here says that God's teachings aren't just valuable like gold, but God's teachings are also enjoyable like honey. They're not just valuable, but they are enjoyable, even sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. The word of God is that treasure that is to be discovered, but it's also a delightful taste to savor. Jewish children, they used to learn the Hebrew alphabet in a special way. They would have a board that would be in front of them and they would put honey on it. And then the children would say the words or they would lick the honey off and then say the words that were on there so that they could experience the truth that God's word is indeed sweeter than honey. So my question now is, is what about you? What are your greatest desires? Is it your 401k? Is it maybe how many cars you have? How many likes you have on your socials? How many followers you have on TikTok? Is it something else? Maybe your desire is for other people to just like you and like what you do and like what you're about. 
as believers, our greatest and most lasting pleasure will be the word of God because it never turns void. It never withers away and it is always perfect. And then David writes this to us. He says, in addition, your servant is warned by them, by the laws, precepts, and in keeping them, there is an abundant reward. You know, a lot of times when we hear about rules and commandments, we think, man, this Jesus guy is just a fun sucker. He's not going to let me do anything that I want to. He's just full of restrictions and he's going to stop me from doing the things that I like to do. But here's a different perspective for you. God's laws actually, according to these six areas, breathe life into us, right? They make us wiser. They fill our hearts with joy. They offer insight. They provide warnings and they grant abundant rewards. That's because God's laws are more like guiding lights for this journey of life that we're on. They're not actual chains of sin that tear us down and tie us down to the ground. They allow us to live in the freedom and in the abundance of life that Christ offers. It's that, what I call the John 10, 10 life, that we would have life and have it abundantly. They show us where danger lies. They warn us about the danger. And then they lead us towards a new life in Jesus Christ. You know, one of the things I've learned from reading the Bible over the years is that it gives me important warnings about the choices that I think I want to make. Right? It tells me the truth about these decisions that the world often doesn't tell me. Because I've heard the world often encourage you to follow your Heart, follow your heart, follow your dreams. Spoiler alert, don't do that. Don't do that. The heart can be deceitful. The heart can lead you to sin. It can lead you to things that will cause mass eruptions in your life. You know, the world says, you know what? Just do, do whatever feels good. Do what makes you feel good because that's what's going to bring you happiness. Okay, well, what if you're tired of your spouse? Okay, well, I'll just go find a new one. Or I'll just cheat on the one I have now. It doesn't matter because that's going to make me happy. Or, you know, man, I am tired of, of being a parent. So what am I going to do? I'm just going to put a screen in front of my kid. Or better yet, you know, I'm just going to leave the kids there. And, and they can grow up without a dad or without a mom. And I will uh, just do what I want to do because that's going to make me happy. Right? The world says it's all about numero uno. It's all about you. Guess what? It's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's all about God. The Bible, when we hear these things, it will often show us a different response from the world, doesn't it? Say, yeah, hold on, that doesn't sound like a great idea. I like how John Bunyan put it in The Pilgrim's Progress. He said it this way about the Bible. He said, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book and truly learning about what God says. In Psalm 119 it's written this, it says, I've hidden your word in my heart so I won't sin against you. You know, God's word will benefit our entire lives and it will be that lighted path 
for our journey of life. So we've seen here that God is revealed in the world. We see how God is revealed in the word, but now we see how God is revealed to us personally and relationally. Let's look at what it says here. Psalm 19 verses 12 through 14 says this, who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, Keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Okay, so get this. What happens in this entire psalm is, is David, he, he looks up into the sky. And he goes, wow. God, you are incredible. I see what you've done here. Then he looks down at the scriptures. He looks at the word of God. He says, this is amazing. Look how everything comes together and just pulls out. And then he looks inside of himself and he goes, yuck, that's gross. I don't want any of that. The word he uses here is sin and faults. The first thing David realizes is that, man, I see God in the heavens. I see him in the word, but man, I need to be forgiven of my sins and mistakes and my faults. And when we look at the heavens and we examine the word, we see how much that we also lack. And we can see, just like David did, how truly great of a sinner that he was and how we are. But that's a good thing to see. Because until you realize how great of a sinner you are, you won't know how great of a savior you need. Okay? Until you realize how great of a sinner you are, you won't know how great of a savior that you need. And when David looks at the sky, he sees this glorious God, but he feels like, man, God, you are great, but I am not that great. David said something like this in Psalm chapter 8 when he says, When I think about the heavens and the sun and the moon, I wonder why God even cares about us. Because seeing how glorious God is in the skies and in the scriptures makes David and it makes us here today see our own imperfections. He says this as we just take this apart verse by verse. Verse 12 says, Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. What David is saying here is, God, I need forgiveness and grace. We need forgiveness and grace. Because guess what? Nobody is perfect. All right? We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all make mistakes and we all have these hidden faults. No, this is this human condition that we live in today. We fall short of God's perfect standards. Just as David recognized that he needed forgiveness and grace, we too today must acknowledge our sins and our shortcomings. But then we can also realize the good news of the gospel, that God offers us said forgiveness and grace through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That he took our sins upon himself when he was nailed to the cross. And he offers us today this grace and this forgiveness that we're talking about when we confess our sins and faults to him. He goes on to say in verse 13, Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed 
from blatant rebellion. So he sees he needs forgiveness and grace. Now he sees, man, I need transformation. I need transformation in my life to help me avoid willful sins and to live this blameless life now. And through faith in Jesus Christ, y'all, we now receive the Holy Spirit who helps us resist sin and then transforms our lives. Romans 12, 2 talks about the transforming power and how it is like a metamorphosis change that happens in our lives. And with God's guidance and with his strength, with the Holy Spirit within us today, we can strive to live a life that is set apart from sin and a life that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then verse 14, David wraps it all up with this. He says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David now has this desire to please God with his words and with his thoughts. What he's saying is, God, I long to have a relationship with you. I want to know you more. Well, through faith in Jesus Christ, we can have that personal relationship with God. We can seek to please him by letting the words that we speak and the meditations of our hearts, the thoughts of our mind be guided by his love and his grace, by the power of his Holy Spirit in us. Then he just reminds us here that Jesus serves as our redeemer, as the one who restores that right relationship with God. You know, this entire ending portion, it highlights the need for forgiveness for transformation and for a relationship with God. Even before Jesus walked the earth and we knew the term, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we see it embedded thousands of years before he even came in the Old Testament through these Psalms. That is amazing that we have the gospel message directly here in the Psalms from King David. The gospel message is that through faith in Jesus, we find forgiveness for those sins when we confess them. We find the power to transform our lives because of the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And then we see that we have a restored relationship with our creator and with our rock, our redeemer, the Lord. Would you stand this morning if you are able to? And we are going to um, do a call and response benediction. What's going to happen is I'm going to read the first line, and then y'all will read out the lines that are underlined there, and then we will read that final portion together that says all, okay? Here we go. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. The law of the Lord is The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God's word is more desirable than gold. And sweeter than honey. Bless us, O God, our rock and redeemer, as we hear, pray, speak, and ponder your word in our hearts. Amen. Let that be your prayer as you go today. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Thanks so much for checking out that message from Journey Church. We pray that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to this ministry, be sure to head over to journeychurchgillette.com 
and hit the give icon in the bottom right hand corner. Your generous contributions allow us to continue making content like this week after week. So thank you for your generosity so that we can keep spreading the message of Jesus Christ all over the internet. Hey, God bless you guys, and thanks for listening to this message.